you're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. Matchin once wrote that strange things are lost and forgotten in obscure corners of the newspaper. Welcome to Forgotten Darkness, a podcast that will aim to prove that that statement is true. After the surrender of Japan in September of 1945, the United States occupied the country until 1952. An early decision was made to keep Emperor Hirohito in power, even though numerous people called for his abdication. Several pre-existing Japanese laws and decisions were reversed, and in an effort to curb any resurgence of ultra-nationalist feelings or rampant militarism, in December of that year the Shinto Directive was passed which abolished Shinto as a state religion, since it was felt that it had played a role in Japan's imperialistic ambitions. In January of the next year, Emperor Hirohito formally denounced the divine status traditionally ascribed to Japanese emperors. But over the next few years, as should prove unsurprising, resentment of the occupying forces grew. And as the United States carried out purges of imperial appointees in government and struggled to rebuild the infrastructure of the nation, dissatisfaction grew. Japan in 1949 was a particularly tense place. Worker dissatisfaction grew. The Japanese Communist Party had won several seats in the Diet in the general election of that year. And with their confidence bolstered by the communist revolution taking place at that time in China, they began to stoke the flames of economic uncertainty. In April of 1949, the Americans passed the Association's Control Ordinance, which required the registration of communists, many of whom were forced out of public office. And with the passage of the Dodge Plan for Economic Restructuring in March of 1949, worker tensions mounted considerably. Japanese government railways, The company which had operated rail travel in the country was on June 1, 1949 reorganized into a corporation known as Japanese National Railways. Appointed as its first president was 48-year-old Satanori Shimiyama. Shimiyama soon began getting pressure to lay off employees, on July 4th submitting to the government a list of 30,000 names. On July 5th, Shimiyama left for work at 8.20 a.m., with a meeting discussing the planned layoffs scheduled at the JNR offices at 9. However, leaving his home in Oda City in southern Tokyo, he had his driver take him not to the offices, but to the Mitsukoshi department store in Nianbashi. Arriving there before the store opened for the day, they drove to a bank near Tokyo Station, then back to the store. Shimayama left the car and entered the store at 9.37, telling the driver to wait five minutes 
and then to leave if he wasn't back. Shimayama at this point was already 40 minutes late for his meeting. And furthermore, this was to be the last the driver saw Shimayama alive. Around 12.30 that night, 14 hours after he had disappeared into the department store, a train on the Joban railway line in a residential neighborhood near the Tokyo Detention House struck something. They discovered a number of dismembered body parts. Apparently they had struck a human body. Investigation shortly revealed that they were those of missing railway president Satanori Shimiyama. But from here, it becomes murky. A medical examiner working with the police felt certain that the death was a case of suicide. The formal autopsy, conducted by Professor Naoki Kuwashima of Tokyo University, determined that internal injuries to the body, and there being less blood than expected at the scene, meant that Shimiyama was already dead when hit by the train. Professor Nakadati Kiyuhei of Kiyo University agreed with the initial assessment of suicide, though, pointing out that it had been raining the night of the discovery, and thus it was equally possible blood had just been washed away by the time the investigators arrived, and that the internal injuries were consistent with for what would be expected from being hit by a train. A trail of witnesses were able to be found to help reconstruct the railway, railway president's last hours. He was seen inside the Mitsukoshi store for quite some time, then on a subway car bound for Asakusa. At around 1.40 that afternoon, he was at the Gatano Railway Station. Then he entered a tea house and stayed there for three hours. He was then seen walking southward walking southward along the Tobu Isasaki line, heading in the direction of where his body would later be found. On July 4th, the day that Shimayama had ordered the layoffs, the Asahi Shimbun newspaper received a letter, purportedly from some group calling themselves the Repatriates Blood League. In the letter, the so-called League threatened the assassinations of Prime Minister Shigeru Yoshida, his entire cabinet, Chief of Police Iji Tanaka, as well as Satanori Shimiyama and his vice president, a man named Kagayama. It was generally assumed that these were in response to the layoffs, which were part of the Dodge Plan for economic restructuring. It was also generally assumed that the so-called Repatriates Blood League was a violent group associated with the Japanese Communist Party, as many communists were among those laid off, and the railroad president had been murdered by communists in retaliation for the layoffs. But if this letter had, been, had indeed been a legitimate threat, Shimiyama had been the only one of those threatened to whom anything actually happened. On August 30, 1949, Naoki Kuwashima, as well as his superior Tanamoto Furuhara and Professor Kayasuke Komiya of Nagoya Medical School, were called before the Diet, the Japanese parliament. Professor Furuhata stated that Kuwashima still cannot officially declare this a murderer or suicide. He has stated only that the body was dismembered after death. The investigation is still underway, and those who know nothing of it but make deductions anyway are unscientific and taking liberties. A stone monument was erected at the site of the death two years later in 1951. Further construction on the railroad made it necessary to move the monument. Just over a week after the death of Sadanori Shimiyama, on July 15th, people in the vicinity of Mitaka Station in western Tokyo were startled when a passenger train came hurtling out of the station. The train smashed into nearby buildings and eventually came to a stop. 
The accident caused six deaths and injured 20. No one was on board the train that had crashed, and the accelerator handle was tied down. An arrest was shortly made, but though the resolution of the derailment seemed to be in hand, the circumstances were fraught with oddities and the likelihood, almost a certainty, of a completely trumped-up case. The man arrested was, was Keisuke Adeuchi, the usual conductor of the train, who had been off work that day. This despite the fact no one seemed to have actually claimed to have seen Adeuchi near, near Mitaka Station. Adeuchi confessed to the stat sabotage, though he changed the nature of his confession many times, first declaring it was himself alone, then implicating ten other men in a conspiracy, then himself alone again, and finally protesting his innocence. And in a 1950 trial, all defendants were, were originally found guilty. Only a month later, the verdicts were revised, and the supposed conspirators all acquitted, all of whom, by the way, were members of the Japanese Communist Party. Adeyuchi was not. With only Case K. Adeyuchi being still sentenced to death. Never explained was why a crucial witness, one who could account for the conductor's whereabouts at the time of the accident, and definitively place him in a, another section of the city nowhere near Mitaka Station, was never called to testify, with it being ruled his testimony was irrelevant. Also never explained was why the four police officers customarily posted at the station were all absent on the day of the derailment. In the end, Adeuchi was sent to prison, but died in 1967 before his execution could be carried out. In 2009, a lawyer named Shoji Takamizawa, convinced that Case K had been innocent, contacted his son Kenichiro Adeuchi. In 2011, an appeal was filed with the Tokyo Supreme Court seeking a retrial, but this was denied. On August 17, 1949, just over a month after the derailment at Mitaka, another case of railway sabotage took place at Matsukawa Station, just outside of Fukushima. At 3.09 a.m., a train derailed just north of Matsukawa, killing three crew members. Thankfully, though it was a late-night passenger train, none of the 412 passengers on board were injured. Investigators quickly determined that at the site of the derailment, several of the nuts, bolts, and railway spikes had been removed from the tracks. In the following days, ten employees of Japanese National Railways and ten from a local Toshiba factory were arrested. The case of the 20 defendants, whose identity as members of the Japanese Communist Party seems to be in dispute, though it's typically assumed it's not certain went to trial on December 5, 1950. Five were sentenced to death, five to life in prison, and the others to varying terms of imprisonment. The rulings were promptly appealed, and in a second hearing on December 22, 1955, three of those were acquitted. In the following years, the case was championed by several writers. It had since the initial trial come to light that, as in the case of Case K. Adeyuchi, Confirmation of several of the defendants' alibis was barred from being used in court. Also not allowed in the trial was a report showing that a wrench found in a field nearby, connected to one of the defendants, had not been used to remove the bolts and spikes from the, rail from the railroad tracks. Finally, a third trial was held on August 8, 1961, 
and this time, all defendants were acquitted. This decision was upheld by the Japanese Supreme Court two years later. In 1970, the 20 defendants were all awarded compensation from the Japanese government for false arrest and imprisonment. It's still unknown exactly who carried out the sabotage of the rail lines. And that's the end of this episode. As always, a list of sources consulted for this episode can be found in the show description, and photos associated with this week's story will be on my Instagram at Forgotten Darkness. If you have a question, a comment, or if you know a lesser-known story that you'd like to see covered, leave a comment on the podcast page, post it to the Facebook page of Forgotten Darkness Podcast, or send it to our email at ForgottenDarknessPodcast at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at Forgotten Darkness Podcast, and you can DM me ideas there. I also now have a Google Map available marked with the locations of various episodes. There's links to all these pages in the show description as well. Till next time, this is Andrew, signing off. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.